Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly, and we have again with us this week, back by popular demand, Mr. Ecky. Um, thanks for joining us again, brother. Uh, great to be back. Now, uh, Ecky, before we go on, just maybe tell our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your pastor, where you're pastoring. Just give us a little bit of background yeah, so I, I started in the middle of 2019, literally July 1st, um, at uh, Western Avenue Baptist Church in Brawley, California. We're really on the southern tip of California. We are a border town, so literally about 30 miles north of the Mexican border, but about two hours east of San Diego. So if you were in San Diego, and many of you probably familiar with the San Diego area, there's an eight freeway that runs eastwards. So you would go from San Diego, take the eight east, and it's basically two hours, and then you get into what we call Imperial Valley. And Imperial Valley, the main cities there are El Centro, Imperial, Brawley. Um, so that's that's kind of our valley, and that's, uh, that's where I started about, um, I guess at this point, almost exactly a year and a half ago. And then prior to that, I was in Los Angeles. I was actually saved at Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur is the pastor. I was saved under his preaching back in 2007 and then went to seminary at Master's Seminary and took the slow route, graduated 2016, and then for a couple of years served as an intern, but was also taking advantage of some overseas ministry opportunities as well during that time. All right. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that with us. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was a little afraid of the topic we're going to cover today <laughs> when we were we were messaging back and forth and asking kind of, you know, what, what subjects you think, you know, we could cover. And you messaged me the effect of tech on our walk, uh, how to yeah. combat it, how to glorify God with it. And, I, and instantly I thought, oh, wait a minute. I know he has a tech background. I know yeah. nothing about technology. <laughs> I should, but I don't. Uh, how we're going to do this? I'll just ask him a ton of questions, um, and and then kind of before you know we hit the record button here, we talked a little bit about through that, and it's it's where I'd hoped we were going to go. So yeah, let's just open it up. Social media, especially lately. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and let me um, let me give you. You talk about my tech background. Let me um, give a little bit of background there. So. Um, I started uh, going to college back in 1990. I went to UCLA, and my major there was computer science and engineering. So from very early on, I was in the computer field. After that, I worked as a technology consultant um, for companies like Pricewaterhouse, PricewaterhouseCoopers, IBM Global Services, and then I worked for a company called Parsons in Pasadena. <clears throat> but in the time that I was doing consulting, I was working with a lot of different companies, and there was even a stint with a company called GeoCities. Now, most people would not recognize that name, but sometime around the late 1990s, um, there was a company called GeoCities, and they were basically one of the earliest forms of social media. Um, they were big before MySpace started to take over. And then, of course, from MySpace, it went to Facebook. Um, but GeoCities uh, was kind of this idea of online communities. You build your own websites. So I was there, part of that company. They were in Santa Monica. And I wasn't there for too long. It was, it was a startup company. The pace of it was just crazy. 
But because of my tech background, I've seen a lot of these companies that are major companies now. I mean, I, I watched Amazon start from purely a bookseller into becoming really an online superstore into being a lot more than that. A lot of people don't realize that Amazon actually owns um, the data centers where a lot of corporations store their own servers and, and storage. And that's and in that space, they are kicking the pants off of IBM and Google and Microsoft. IBM, Google, and Microsoft for years have been trying to play play catch up. People wouldn't think of that when they think of Amazon, but they also provide storage to a lot of online consumer services like Parler, as we've mm-hmm. seen this past week, the effect that it's had on, on Parler. So I've, I've seen a lot of these companies go from very small startups to being kind of the giant forces that they are now, whether it's Amazon or Apple or Twitter or Facebook, um, Google especially. And, uh, and so when we think about the recent events and what's been happening on social media, we know that a lot of people have been getting censored off of Twitter. Um, You and I, we've got a lot of good friends on social media that are scrambling now looking to see who's going to be the next platform. And for a long time, the second platform that people would go to was Parler. I mean, that had probably the biggest conservative following outside of what we had on Twitter. And then Parler, out of nowhere, Amazon basically said, you know what, we're not going to host you anymore. So Parler had their servers and their storage being hosted by Amazon Web Services. And Amazon, whether it was planned or whether they were pressured, um, I don't know. But I think we're seeing a lot of these tech companies kind of operate in lockstep. So I I don't think that that's by coincidence. So Amazon really decided, you know what, we're going to kick you off. And Parler now has a problem because they can't find another data center that will host them. They had an agreement with someone else. That other company pulled out on them in the last second. Their lawyers stopped working with them. So they're under a lot of pressure and they can't partner with anyone. And now you've got this company, Gab. That's the company that um, looks like it's going to be the next in line, but they've had struggles this past week with performance because they're getting hit so hard and a lot of people are signing up for that. But I think in the midst of all this, what we're seeing is that there's a lot of questions, not only where we're going to go, but I think it's caused some of us to stop and think, okay, how are we using social media? Are we using it for the glory of God? Because I know a number of people, and you probably do too, that have been on Twitter and they left maybe several months ago because they just thought it was so mm-hmm. toxic. And you and I, we, we deal with this, you know, we, we kind of straddle this line where we want to edify the saints online with, with, um, with scripture, with, with spiritual thoughts that uh, will encourage or equip or help people to be able to spot error when it comes up. And at the same time, you know, as well as I do, that any tweet can suddenly be attacked by the left. And then next thing we know, we're in this verbal war going back and forth uh, between those people. So we're always struggling with, you know, how how are we using this platform? When do we pull back and say, okay, Mm -hmm. enough is enough? And when do we kind of focus ourselves? So I think that's that's the struggle that uh, we're going through. And I I don't know, what are are your thoughts? How, How do you process this as you go through this? Yeah, no, I I agree. And I think the real question for us as believers is how do we use technology to glorify God? And particularly when we're talking about social media, well, I, I think instantly I have two thoughts. You know, one thought would be to ask ourselves, is it wisdom to just abandon ship on all social media because you know, it seems like the left is just censoring any anyone that's conservative or Christian. So that's one thought. Uh, and the second thought is, if we're remaining on social media, um, are the words that we're speaking, are they edifying, are they uplifting? Um, and, and those are some real things to, to consider. Because, I mean, if we're honest, 
just online communication tends to bring out the worst in people. You know, it tends to make us very caustic or at least tempt us to that. Um, I, I know I've succumbed to that in 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 the past. I've I've actually had close friends that occasionally I've you know, sent things and said, Hey, just look over this for me. And they'll email back and say, yeah, this sounds a little bit edgy. Maybe that's crossing the line. Um, and, and I have to admit, I delete a lot more than I type, uh, on Twitter and I probably type more than I should already. Uh, <laughs> so, I can, I totally relate to that. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have those struggles and I think that it, it's good to have the struggle rather than to feel confident and right and just blasting people all the time. That that would be, you know, indication of a heart issue. But yeah, you know, a lot of guys are jumping ship and I, I'm not sure that I think that's good. Um, and, and my perspective would be if all the Christians leave the communication, then wh- where's the witness going to be? Right. Right. Yeah. The, the only chance that we have to make other people, you know, we often refer to them as our opponents or whatnot, but, you know, these are people made in the image of God who are lost in various ways or confused, or maybe they're lacking discernment. And the only way that we might be able to get someone to kind of rethink is to expose them, you know, to truth, expose them to maybe some of the reasons why we reject certain lines of thinking. And obviously, this past year, critical race theory has come up quite a bit. Marxism has come up quite a bit. Um, you, with your background, you've been fighting the kind of the Pentecostal charismatic word of faith uh, kind of movement. So, we, we've seen a lot of that. And <clears throat> so, I think my attitude, and I suspect yours is too, is that you know, I'm going to make them kick me off. You know, in some cases, Twitter has kicked people off, and so they have no choice. But uh, in other cases, um, they haven't kicked us off. There's still, you know, an online presence there that they're allowing us to use. So I'm just going to go ahead and keep sharing truth as much as I can until they finally kick me off. That's been that's been kind of my mindset, and I think that's been the mindset of most our most of our fellow saints who have decided to remain on Twitter at least for now. Yeah, and 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 absolutely that that's definitely my mindset. And, and but I definitely had a time where I took a step back and just considered uh, with all the censorship. That's I mean clearly that's what it is. Do I want to stay on the platform or not? And you know ultimately, and I think relatively quickly came to the conclusion that yeah, I'm going to wait until they force me off. Um, and and I hope that the being forced off is because of my witness to Christ. And I think that is important. I think there's the temptation to want to be heroic in the sense of being able to say, yeah, Twitter kicked me off or Facebook blocked me. Um, I, I know I've been blocked a couple times by both Facebook and Twitter. And instantly, if I'm honest, I, I kind of immediately have this feeling of a, almost a self-righteous thing like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they kicked me off. I, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have to fight that, right? <laughs> um, that That's not a response rooted in humility. And then we have to ask the question, if if we get kicked off, are we getting kicked off for the right reason? So, if I, if I get removed from Twitter, um, if it's of my own doing, right? If it's in response yeah. to something I did or said, I want it to be connected to my Christian witness, not because I'm you know, supporting a political candidate or, you know, I've whatever else it could be. Right, right. Yeah, we, we don't want to artificially put obstacles to, to Christ. Uh, we don't want our personality to be the reason why people are upset at us. Uh, we, we want the reason to be truth. And, and on this platform, it's not hard to make someone upset. 
you know, all you have to do is just stand for a position and people are going to get upset. All you've got to do, and then I, you know, earlier this week, you were making a point about Black Lives Matter and you kind of made an opposite statement just to make a point. And then I saw that all these fireworks erupted, uh, you know, with you and one one individual in particular who I won't name, but um, I, I think a lot of us have had exposure to him. But yeah, yeah, those things, you know, we want to be sure that um, we're, you know, if Jesus Christ were with us and seeing the things that we're typing, that he wouldn't be ashamed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And then at the same time, also recognizing that, you know, we we don't want to be spending all, all day online. You know, we don't want to be spending all day online as if that's a substitute for real human interaction, you know, but at the same time, you know, when I think about the time that we've had online, I mean, I, I've actually made some really good friendships mm-hmm. just through Twitter. I've been encouraged by things that you've posted. I've been encouraged by things that a number of people posted. There, There's like a community of people that now, you know, if we move off of Twitter, I want to know where they're going and I want to be somewhere where they are because I want to be edified by what they say and, you know, and, and vice versa. So, there, there's been some real genuine friendships that that I can consider you know true brothers and sisters in in Christ that literally if something were wrong I they they would actually care enough that they would want to reach out to me and and help and even when I went through covid late last year I had some people reach out to me directly you know asking for my address and if they can send me anything to help me out and stuff like that I mean that's mm-hmm. you know that's precious I've seen fellow brothers and sisters um you know receive financial aid when they yeah. talk about how they're struggling and someone else will do a GoFundMe page for them and, and raise money for them. So that's that's when it really shines. That that's when that online community. That's like, you know, you are reminded that the the body of Christ stretches into all places of the world. And you've seen this. You're a missionary. You, you you've seen where you can go to a different country, and all you need is just that shared commitment to Christ, and you automatically feel closer to them than people that you have may have, may have spent the last 10, 20 years with who are not believers. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's where the social media really shines. And I think it's a reality that people typically find sort of what they're looking for, right? Um, if you're using social media because you're looking for a fight, that's what you're going to find a lot. Yeah. Um, it's there anyway. But um, if, if your time online is characterized by that, then yeah, it might be a good time to pause and take a step back and, and ask, you know, are, are you using it? for God's glory or something else. I, I want to go back and talk about that tweet that I tweeted that uh, caused a little bit of storm. And and I want to talk about it specifically because I think there can be a tendency to read the worst of, of tone yeah. into a tweet. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of that's what happened now. <clears throat> so I, so someone, it, it was, the tweet was about the Black Lives Matter thing. And I typed and deleted and retyped that tweet I don't know, at two or three different times. So I just sim- merely responded to the tweet and said, white lives matter. Now, I'm a Scottish Welsh. I'm as white as you can get in the winter and as red as you can get in the summer. Um, but my my point was, right, that if, if you're going to use a statement as just a pure matter of fact and it doesn't have any other meaning. And that's the problem with that phrase, Black Lives Matter. It, it, yeah. it is connected to an organization. You can't get around that. And effectively, it means everyone else matters less at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I just thought I would put a statement out there that no one should be able to argue with, right? White lives do matter. Yeah. 
Asian lives. And I think you commented Asian <laughs> lives did. matter, Asian right? Lives matter, yeah, right, right. And uh, man, when I commented that, I, I knew I was going to get pushed back. Um, I, I braced myself for that and I intentionally didn't engage in a whole lot of the comments uh, because I'm not looking to pick a fight. I was trying to make a point with someone and some people yeah. got that. Um, but yeah, I, I think what happened was that someone then retweeted you and called you basically, you know, the worst possible thing that a person could, could call you, or at least one of the worst possible things. And then that ended up getting an interaction from a lot of other people that know you that basically said that's ridiculous and this and that. And, um, and so that, that's, what, that's, that's what happens online. You're right. People read the worst. And, and I think especially with the kind of the critical race theory worldview, it automatically starts from a position of assuming the worst from anyone who is not, for instance, black. Right. Uh, in this case. Yeah. Which ought to be a big red flag when right. a, a system or a way of thinking kind of demands that you think the worst of someone. It's probably a good indication that that's not going to be in line with a biblical yeah, way of thinking. Exactly. And, and that's that's where we get into worldviews. And we have to remind ourselves that worldview matters. So we our worldview needs to be informed by what the Bible teaches us. And what the Bible teaches us is that you and I are no more inherently more or less sinful than one another. We all share the same common condition. We are all sinners. We are all depraved. We are all, you know, we, we have all turned away from God. We, on our own strength, bring nothing to the table except the sin that needs to be forgiven, right? So we all share that condition, and the Bible makes no distinction. I mean, that's the whole point of Romans chapter 3, right? When Paul gets into Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, when he says, no one does good, no one seeks after God. Well, before then, he just before then, he makes the point, are Jews any better than Greeks? And so then he goes on the point and says, no, we're all in the same boat. We're all exactly depraved together. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, that talk about how you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Um, we were following after the course of the world, after the prince of the power of the air. We were by nature sons of disobedience, children of wrath. We were following after the lusts and desires of our own mind and flesh, so on and so forth. And, and so we we all recognize we have a shared condition as being part of mankind. But that worldview starts off with an uneven worldview that you're in a different position based upon your skin color, which is absolutely ridiculous. And so the Black Lives Matter statement, I understand what they're saying because they their argument would be that because blacks are facing more oppression than other groups, that the attention should be more upon them. I, I, I get that, but at the same time, we have to remind ourselves that the CRT worldview, which suddenly teaches that you're suddenly more sinful than, say, a black person because you're white. And by the way, Asians, depending upon the situation, they either share the plight of black people or they share the plight of white people. So they, they're either on either spectrum, but it becomes, it becomes a, a kind of a silly discussion. Mm. And, and we, we start to look at things in a way that's simply not biblical. And as, you, you know, as we're talking about here, I, I've made the statement before that when your theology is broken, it's rarely broken in one place. Mm. So the other, the, the other offshoot we're seeing from this is that a lot of these supporters of things like CRT, they get a lot of other things wrong too. Like for instance, we've seen <clears throat> pretty much every single ardent supporter of CRT downplay the importance of protecting 
the um, the infants in, in the mm-hmm. in the womb, right? right? You know, we we've seen them kind of equivocate on that and make excuses for either even either not voting for either party, not voting for Trump, or even in some cases making excuse for voting for the Democratic Party. So I think we see worldview, and we're we're kind of taking this off in a different direction here. But worldview is so critical, and and that's what comes up in these discussions, and that's also. If I can give advice for anyone that's on social media and, you know, when you're engaging in a discussion with someone, you know, at some point I have to ask myself, do I have any hope of maybe helping this person think differently? Mm. There have been times I have. There there have been times I've come across people and they genuinely want to know where I'm coming from. And that's when I try to engage as much as possible to help them kind of think differently or to see things biblically. And then there are certain people, and you, if you're on Twitter long enough, you know who they are. You, you see some of the names, some of the same names pop up over and over again. Sometimes they, they jump in and you just, for me, sometimes I'll just say, you know what? It's not worth engaging this person. And, and you did that in that case with that, uh, with that comment that you made and the response that you got back. And so that's where you say, look, this is not going to end well because this person is an accuser of the brethren mm-hmm. and I'm going to be caught on the defensive. Sometimes I might go ahead and engage just to just to help maybe reveal just how ridiculous their position is sure. or, or how objectively true the position I'm defending is, you know, but uh, but it, it becomes a, a pearl before swine and pearls before swine and, and a, you know, are, are you engaging the fool in order to expose his folly or are you engaging the fool with the danger of becoming like him? Yeah, no, that's some good advice, brother. And and I think the question comes back to, and, and neither you nor I can tell anyone what to or what not to, you know, say on social media, but what we can encourage folks to do is, you know, check your reasoning before you hit that reply button. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, your reason for replying, is it just to, uh, you know, be combative or are, are you somehow hoping that truth will come out? Um, yeah. And, you know, don't be afraid to silence, mute, block, whatever. Um, w- when we know guys are, you know, regularly accusing the brethren, um, you know, we ought to really take the scriptural admonition serious of just not fellowshipping and cutting yeah. those people off. And so for your own spiritual health, uh, sometimes we just need to block those guys that we know are just confrontational, continue to pray for them. That ought to always be our heart with guys like that, right? We pray that the Lord will bring them, bring them back to truth or bring them to truth in the first place. Um, but that, that should be our goal. And so kind of swinging this back around, um, I would just say before you jump ship on social media, consider the good that you can do. Social media is not going away uh, anytime in the near future. This is the world we live in. Um, we live in a technologically advanced, technologically connected world. And, and the world has been so integrated um, and, and almost you almost can't function in Western society without these things. So use it for God's glory and for the witness of Christ um, rather than, or at least consider that rather than just thinking about jumping ship and, and kind of going back to the dark ages, wait until they kick you off uh, to yeah, start no, writing handwritten letters agreed. again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's um, there, there, certainly, if you have an option to be with people in real life and and to befriend them and, and to share with them, face to face is always better than virtual. Always um, better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in fact, um, I 
I would venture to guess that the vast majority of conversions, and, and I would even guess it was like, it's probably a 99% number, if not higher, um, can most the vast majority of conversions probably happen with face-to-face encounters. Mm-hmm. And so we, we definitely prefer that. And at the same time, I think we are seeing a shift. Um, there's a lot more people spending a mo- lot more time online. And that includes these uh, social media sites. So in a sense, there there is a little bit of um, of a, I guess, a field, a missionary field virtually, if you will, where you can kind of expose people to, to truth. Um, but things, in my experience, things virtually don't happen as fast or as organically as they would face-to-face um, with a person. Um, so, yeah, I would echo what you're saying. I mean, consider, you know, if you're wanting to abandon ship on, on Twitter and, and each has to evaluate this him or herself. Yeah. Because for some people, they just want to be edified by like-minded believers. And I understand that. For some people, you know, maybe God hasn't given them the constitution to be able to stand mm-hmm. and be able to debate to debate back and forth with someone who doesn't agree with them. And there's also kind of specialty areas. So let me give you an example. I mean, we have some people on Twitter who are excellent apologists. You know, when it gets into the fields of like evolution, for instance, mm-hmm. evolution and age, age, earth age theory and all that stuff. I'm actually, I'm not the most well-versed at that. I, I can defend my view enough, mm-hmm. but for me, it's like, you know, I, I recently got into one of the um, age of the earth without, re- without expecting it. Someone challenged an old post of mine that I said, the earth is created in six literal days. Someone came back and started talking about um, radioactive aging or something like that. And, right. you know, I, I, I'm not really well-versed in that area. I don't really need to be because for me, it's like, look, I trust that God created the earth in six mm-hmm. days. I know that science is not reliable. Science is constantly changing. I just got through telling someone tonight at a Bible study that, evolution itself and this is no pun the whole theory of evolution itself continues to evolve so it's like i'd rather put my faith into something that i know is going to stay still the truth this is the beauty about god's word the truth never changes from the time that it is written all the way into the future we know that truth stays the same god stays the same jesus christ stays the same hebrews 13 verse 8 right he's the same yesterday today and tomorrow and so we are on a we're, we're on solid ground so no matter what scientific theories come up, I know I don't need to research it to be convinced that what the Bible says is true. If I research it, it's really only to be prepared for the kind of discussions that might happen. But, you know, when I first tweeted that um, God created the earth in six literal days, there was a lot of people that wanted to get deep into this discussion. I don't have time for that. You don't have time for that, right? I mean, you yeah. know, we, we want to share tweets that are edifying, but we're not going to spend all day just going back and forth, back and forth, you know, trying to prove something to someone. Yeah, but that tweet are, blew up. It I did. Was, I was so oh, surprised. That was crazy. Yeah, that, that one and the whole thing about female pastors. But, you know, I, I, so I wasn't able to engage, but I, there were a couple of people that follow me that are much more knowledgeable in this area and they were able to engage and they went back and forth with those people and did it in a way that glorified God. So they, you know, even some of these people were rude in the way they approached it, but they actually, they kept their composure. They, they were constantly asking to validate presuppositions and, and trying to get them to think about other things. And, and it would go back and forth. And even at the end, sometimes, well, in both cases that I'm thinking of, it actually didn't go anywhere with the person that they were engaging but I think God was glorified in the way that they were trying to bring truth to them. And so that's that's the other opportunity too, because you and I, we're more, we're tweeters, we're, we're probably more tweeters than we are kind of discussion people. 
And and there are other people that are more discussion people. They'll get into the discussions and engage people. And I'm I'm so blessed to to see that because yeah. I'm I'm kind of a guy that just wants to tweet it and then move on to the next tweet. Yeah, I I tend to tweet going back and forth from meetings and, you know, I'll tweet while I'm driving uh, voice, by the way. Um, so no, yep. hands on the steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I don't always have time to, uh, you know, do paragraphs and paragraphs of the explanation, but absolutely. But, you know, brother, I this is a good segue, I, I think, to talk about um, – how we're responding to people is, you know, for us to recognize that, you know, there are two categories of people that you're going to be speaking to believers and unbelievers. Right. Um, and for believers, I, I would just say when you're talking to someone um, who is a believer, just remember that one of the ways we're supposed to be recognized um, by the world is our love for one another. And so if you're tweeting with a, another brother or sister, does that come across, you know, to yes. an unbeliever as charitable or does it come across, you know, as some other way? Um, and, and then with the world, and I think this needs to be said over and over again, um, that, you know, the, the political left is not our enemy as Christians. The unbeliever, they're not our enemies. They're our mission field. Um, and, and so our goal isn't to, um, just win the argument. Our goal is to present truth to them when we can to present Christ to them. And, and so when we're responding to these, uh, these two groups, it would, it would do us well if we keep that in mind. And I don't always do that perfectly. Certainly I don't, um, I've, I've had to put out a, you know, public apology, um, at least once that I can remember probably more than that. Um, and, and that's okay, but we need to try to keep that in mind. And, and um, you know, I think Ephesians 4, 4, 29, 4, 28, um, you know, it talks about letting no unwholesome word come out of our mouth is, you know, if you need to write those down and every time you pull out your, your phone and get on yeah. Twitter, then do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I go back and forth, um, oftentimes the other person is going to <clears throat> it's going to slander me. They're they're going to read into my motivations. They're going to assume the reasons why I take the positions that I take. Um, they're going to jump to conclusions that are not true. And in those cases, I have to be careful not to do the same thing to them. And, yeah. and I've had cases where you know I've had you know several tweets in a row where they're saying things that are untrue about me, and I'm holding my own. I'm not doing the same thing to them, but I'll slip and make one little mistake, and suddenly they'll take that one little mistake and turn it around and just throw it back at me and saying and say you're now you're you're the one who's slandering, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want to be careful with that, you know, and um, and analyze, you know, how you're engaging, that you're being polite, that you're being respectful, and then sometimes you know being polite and respectful though sometimes you have to be firm. You know, sometimes you just have to say, you know what, I'm done with this conversation. You know, the one gentleman recently that was challenging me on the age of the earth and whatnot, he made a statement that I bear the burden of having to prove what the Bible says um, is true against what science says. And my response back was, no, I don't bear that burden. All I bear the burden of as a preacher is to be able to show what the Bible says, period. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. And at that point, I went ahead and cut off communication. And I'm glad I did because I found out later that he was agnostic. So, I mean, initially, he's engaging me on biblical grounds. He's talking about this, but he's also bringing in science. And he's he's trying to make 
some biblical arguments. So I was thinking, you know, he's, he might be a Christian. And then later I find out that he's not, he, he really isn't. And so I don't expect non-believers to be able to understand what we understand or to believe what we believe. And this goes back to reminding yourself biblically who we're dealing with when we're talking to unbelievers. We're talking to people who are blinded by this world. Mm -hmm. And to your point, that's that's the mission field. You know, that's the ones that we want to be able to share the truth of the gospel. We want to introduce them to Christ. We want them to have an understanding of their sin. And you may not be able to get all the gospel out in, in a tweet conversation, but you might at least be able to bring out elements of it, right? right? The depravity yeah. of man or why Jesus Christ had to come, you know, or the fact that we're all sinners. I remember being in a discussion with one lady when she, um, she asked me, when she said, I don't need Jesus Christ. I said, yes, you do. And she said, why? I said, because you're a sinner. And she was totally offended. She said, how dare you call me a sinner when you don't even know me? And I said, I don't need to know you. I said, because the only one who was free of sin was Jesus Christ. So, I mean, that's an opportunity to be able to get that out and to yeah. show her, no, I'm, I'm a sinner just like you. And then she said, well, what evidence do you have that I've sinned? And of course, you can go through, you know, the Ten Commandments, uh, Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And when I brought up some of those examples, she's like, yeah, of course, everyone does that. I was like, okay, well, you just confessed it right there. And that conversation didn't go much longer, but at least you get a part of the gospel out to yeah. that person that may not have understood that before because surprisingly uh, you know we live in america and people think that america is a christian nation it's not and and with each generation that goes on and especially this generation right now the younger generation most of them and i it's it, you'd be shocked how many of them have actually never heard the gospel They've heard Jesus Christ. They've heard some untrue things about the Bible that mm -hmm. causes them to dismiss it. They think that we're homophobic, that that we hate um, the LGBTQ community, that we want them dead or whatever. They, they have all these false um, assumptions that's informed to them by other people that don't understand us. And so it, it's shocking how many of them actually don't know the gospel. And even if you can have a conversation that whittles away, maybe just one false presumption, yeah, that, that will help. God, God uses that. And of course- you know, I'm, I'm Calvinist. I know you are too. And so we know that God elects those who will be saved. I believe that with all my heart, but we don't know who the elect are. Yeah. There, there's no, there's no letter E written on the back of their neck. So we share with whoever we can, and we recognize that God sovereignly uses our efforts to bring the elect closer and closer to his timing in which he's going to save them. Or if they're unbelievers, you know what, that's still for the glory of God. Yeah. Because we're, we're still to share truth, and even unbelievers who reject it, they're going to end up being held accountable for what they've heard. But the fact that they've heard it is actually glorifying to God, even if they reject it. Yeah, and, you know, people read, right, those conversations. Yeah, people sit on Twitter for hours and hours and hours and just read through people's conversations, right? Um, and so, one gospel conversation or one conversation that talks about the fact that we're sinners could be seen by a total random stranger who, you know, they've gotten into the argument and, you know, they're just thumbing through. That happens a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, we use those opportunities and and it's good to remember that. Otherwise, I, I think, you know, like we mentioned earlier, it could just, it's easy to get sucked into battles that, you know, maybe we just don't need to get sucked into. And, and let me be clear. And for anyone who follows my Twitter page, this will be of no surprise. I don't mind just making a, a matter of fact statement. Um, I, I don't have to prove 
if if God says something is true, it's not my burden. And you've said that too, right? Yeah. Um, I don't mind making statements that I know um, are biblical and some people will find offensive. Um, I don't mind making statements that are just true in general. Uh, and that's not what we're saying. We're not saying you can't talk about those things. Um, I'm happy to talk about how, you know, Black Lives Matter as an organization is absolute and utter evil. Um, I'm okay saying that. I'm not saying, uh, but but I'll also be quick to say that those people who have embraced that are a mission field, and we just need to remember that when we're interacting with them. Um, if we want to talk about the gold standard, and, and you used that phrase earlier, of Twitter, uh, how how to use and and um, and tweet. I think Dustin Binge is that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So he, <laughs> we, we all love Dustin Binge and every single list that we ever see on Twitter, you know, people put this list about saying, these people have been very encouraging to me. I encourage you to follow them. And there's always a list. And Dustin Binge is like on every single one. And I think the two names that I see all the time, it's always Dustin Binge and Nate Pickowicz, right? So those, those two show up um, over and over again. But yeah, Dustin is a great example because he's just tweeting truth. And there's no question. I mean, I'm sure Dustin will be the first to tell you that he gets a lot of hate in return, but he just doesn't engage it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he just shares the truth. And Nate Pickowicz uh, once made a statement that he could just tweet scripture and he's going to get hate coming back at him, you know? And so you, you, you do pick your battles, but you did make a very good point um, that sometimes like, for instance, an atheist jumps out of nowhere and um, starts throwing all these false accusations about what the Bible says and starts conflating the old Testament and the new Testament and stuff like that. And you and I have engaged people like that before. And it's easy for us in that moment to say, you know what, I don't need to engage this again, let's just move on. But sometimes I will engage, not necessarily because I think that person is going to change his mind, because it's obvious in many cases, they're just looking for a fight. And when they're looking for a fight, they're not going to be open to what you say. But one of the reasons why I might engage and provide some counter arguments is exactly that for people that are reading. You, you want people, other people to be able to read and be able to see, yeah, there are some answers you know, to these challenges. Yeah, there are reasons why these challenges are actually rather silly. And and when we're tweeting truth, like for instance, when I tweeted, you know, that God created the world in six literal days, there were some people that got really angry at me saying, why are you tweeting something so controversial? Right. You know, but there are a lot of people out there that believe that, but they're almost ashamed to admit it. Yeah. And and when they see us being so bold about it, I think it gives them confidence to say, you know what, I do believe in the power of God. I do believe that he could have created everything in six literal days and you don't need to be ashamed of it. You know, and so some of the interactions that happen there, I think it helps to equip some of them for those uh, kinds of conversations. But I mean, going back to Dustin Benj, I mean, you, you know, what makes him great is and, and we as pastors, we see this. He, he is an expert homiletician, right? Yeah. So he homiletician, what I mean by that, he puts together these great outlines. Um, he'll he'll take a text of scripture, puts together these just great outlines. They they sound great. They're they're just they're alive with truth, and they're very catchy. And you know, sometimes we 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 kind of demean something that sounds catchy, but if it's true, then there's nothing wrong with it being catchy. And he's he's a master at that. So I, I we all love his tweets, and uh, he's he really is a great example. And if you ever look at the comments that he gets, you'll see that he does get. Um, some evil, hateful comments sometimes, but the beauty about Dustin is that, you know what, this is the truth and I'm just going to move yeah. on to the next one. Yeah. And, it, you know, and that's why he has, I don't know what he has these days, 40,000 plus followers is because he's, you know, one of the most consistent 
One, he's consistent in the way he tweets, and we don't all have to be that way. That's fine. But he he tweets just in a, in a specific fashion, just like you say, pretty much all the time. And he yeah. doesn't get off of that too often. And it's almost always edifying and uplifting. He doesn't yes. engage, you know, in discussion a whole lot. Culture. Yeah, no. Right. Politics, um, yeah. But I tell you what, I have been preparing for sermons and I've seen him uh, do one of his, you know, five steps or 10 things or whatever, yeah. which actually, if you see any of my tweets and it's like four steps to, you know, uh, not being afraid. Right, right and, right. and it's like prayer, read your Bible, fellowship. That th- it, When I do those, that is because that's something I saw Dustin doing early on. I was like, you know what? If if Joel Osteen can use that for nonsense, we can use it for good. I'll copy Justin. Um, so I totally ripped that off of of uh, of Dustin Binge's page. But yeah, and, and and I know I know he he wouldn't mind at all. I mean, that's, he's encouraged when he sees people doing that. Yeah, and actually, let let me just read something that he wrote recently, uh, just to give. If folks are like, I, I don't know who Dustin is, um, Dustin Binge. If you're on Twitter, look him up. If I don't know if he's on Facebook, but look him up. Um, you, you should. In fact, I would say go to sign up for Twitter just to follow Dustin. If nothing else, yeah. you'll be encouraged. Um, yeah. And follow Eki, okay, <laughs> Dustin and Eki, and you'll be encouraged. And Nathaniel Jolly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and so, all right, so listen to this. He, he tweeted this, uh, looks like today. He said, and, and this is going to be a, an ouch for some of us. Um, he said, gentleness is the primary characteristic missing from men in Christian mm. leadership. Consider wow. it genial, lowly, forbearing, gracious, forgiving. Abandon your swagger, brashness, and machoism, and remember your Savior washed feet. Wow. Wow. That, that, that does hit hard, you know, and, and I think of um, meekness, right? So meekness, I understand is, um, is really the voluntary restraint of power that you have. And I think Dustin models that extremely well. No one would accuse him of being effeminate. You know, the, the truth that he shares, it's, it's true. It's from the Bible. It's hard truth that people need to hear. And yet, no one also would ever accuse him of being harsh, right? Yeah. Or being um, being pugnacious, you know, or, or divisive. You know, his truth might divide, but it's the truth that divides yeah. and not, not his personality. So, you know, that's a great example. Yeah. And, you know, another guy that we could just point to in terms of a, you know, big public character would be John MacArthur. Yeah. Um, you know, he... And and so and I use John because he's probably the most publicly known as someone who fights for the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And and yet you don't get that sense of a man that just wants to beat down everyone. You don't you don't get that from John MacArthur. In fact, if you ever get a chance to meet him in person, I mean, he is. I I feel he's like, like he, the most gentle he, person you could possibly meet. He's like my grandpa. I, yeah, I mean, he, he really he's just so so loving, so gentle, so caring, um, and. And when you see that, if if you just listen to him preach in his demeanor, even you know on on live stream, you can still see that kind of thing. And no one, no one, could 
accuse uh, John MacArthur rightly of not fighting for what he believes is true. Right. Um, and, and so we can do both of those things, right? We can operate in meekness and we can stand up for truth, you know, and comment on those things. Um, but, but we have to be, we have to guard ourselves, right? Uh, those yeah. things don't come naturally or easily for any of us, I don't think. Yeah, they, they don't. And, and it's, it's amazing how many people come to Shepherd's Conference at Grace Community Church and people come for the first time, they've only heard John MacArthur over the radio, or they may maybe seen some videos of him, and they have a certain idea of what he's like, and then they meet him, and then they're like, wow, that was not what I was expecting at all. Or they come to Shepherd's Conference, and they see how many volunteers from Grace Community Church are mm -hmm. there at Shepherd's Conference, and just how loving and kind and welcoming they are when they were expecting to come to a church that was hardcore and legalistic and kind yeah. of edgy, kind of like that. But um, yeah, it's um, you meet John and he is like the most kind, gracious person. And then he goes into the pulpit and he turns into this lion for, for the truth, you know, but, but you're right. And what came up this past week also was really the use of profanity. Some people like mm, to use profanity. Yeah. Some people like to make an argument that Christians can make profitable use of profanity. I don't think you're that way. I'm not that way. And Absolutely certainly, not. yeah. And certainly when I think about, you know, my model and example, there is none better than John MacArthur, who for 50 plus years has never once given into that. And no one, and I mean, no one would accuse him of being soft or effeminate. Yeah. No one would accuse him of beating around the bush or being obtuse or unclear about the point that he's making. His points are always clear. They're always very pointed. And, you know, when he, when he talks about culture, I mean, it's amazing. It's like almost 99 times out of 100, he hits it right on the bullseye. Even times where I'll hear something and I'm like, eh, I'm not sure about that. And then later I was like, no, he was right. And that happens a lot more often times than not. But he is a great example of someone who is, he, he is bold. You know, he, he demonstrates biblical masculinity. He knows what he believes. He stands firm on it. He doesn't give ground. He doesn't compromise. And yet he's not someone who's going to go and you know, pick a fight or start, um, you know, start calling people out unnecessarily. You know, he, he's not that kind of person at all. When you meet him, he's actually very gentle, very kind, and he wants what's best for the body of Christ. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And, you know, since you brought up the profanity thing, because uh, it's gone around a couple times and there was a conference or something sometime back where some guys apparently used profanity. I didn't watch it. Um, I, let me just, I, I mean, I want to remind folks that th this is not a subjective kind of thing. The scripture makes it clear. It makes a point in four or five different places just between Ephesians and Colossians, a couple times in each of those about the kind of language that we are supposed to use. I mean, Ephesians chapter five talks about um, not using filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. Uh, Colossians talks about how we put away things like wrath and anger and malice and mm -hmm. obscene talk from our mouth. And, and so instantly, and I know I've put this up before on social media and I've got instant pushback um, well, you know, what about what about this word? Uh, what what about yes, this Google Greek on, word? Right. Yeah. yeah, which in it, you know, and it's typically people who oftentimes have no real training in the languages, and they're just repeating what they've heard. But but here's the issue: it, if you have to so vigorously defend the use of a single word, it's a, probably a good indication 
that you shouldn't be using it. Right. Um, and context matters. Uh, you know, I've lived overseas and you've traveled, I think, yourself. You can use words in some culture that are perfectly yeah. normal, acceptable that you can't use in our culture. Right. Um, but if, if you're if your disposition is trying to just get on that edge, you know, how close can we get to the line? Then, yeah, exactly. then you're way too close already. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I had a, had a conversation with um, a brother on Twitter who I respect very much, very knowledgeable. Um, he challenged me a little bit on that position. Now he himself, I know he doesn't use profanity and he gave me the reason he says when he, if he were to use profanity, it's not that he's against using it, but he has to spend so much time addressing it if he uses it. Mm-hmm. And which by the way, I, I pointed that out is, well, that's one of the reasons you shouldn't use it because it detracts from the purpose, right? Yeah. There's no statement that you need to make that requires the use of profanity. Um, but you know, he made the case, and he's he he made the case that, uh, for instance, you quoted Ephesians four twenty nine, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, and he made the case that word there is really talking about you know any kind of statements that you make um, about someone that's not profitable for anyone. And I said, well, it could mean that, but it it's not not limited to that. You know, and, and I think the problem with using profanity is that when you start to use, and what brought this on is that someone on Twitter, someone that is well known, called um, Joe Biden a racist, and they use the acronym POS, and then we know what that stands for, and um, that that's what that's what led to kind of the uproar. And the problem is when you use that language. I mean, that's language that, think about this, we don't use it in a professional setting in business. Like when I was in the business world, even amongst unbelievers, if we're in a professional setting, we don't use that language. Now, if you're amongst close coworkers and you're not in, you know, you're not in a meeting, you're not with executives and you're just, you know, you're, you're relaxed, you might hear that word come up. In fact, I did, but in a official meeting, you don't hear that word come up. Mm -hmm. If you're in a family setting with your kids, you, you, you're not going to bring that word up. And when you're with family that you don't know or people that you're meeting for the first time, you don't just suddenly throw Mm -hmm. that word out there. When you're in the classroom with kids, you don't use that word. So my point is this, is that even with the secular community, there are words that are going to draw a certain kind of reaction. And the it's going to tempt people to get angry Mm -hmm. or it's going to tempt people to start using similar kind of language. And I would argue that it takes people away from the light of God. It takes you to a darker Mm -hmm. place. And then not only that, but when you start to step over that line where you use a certain profane word, now you're on a slippery slope because once you said that word, what argument do you have? What, where are you going to draw the line and yeah. how are you going to argue that line, right? Yeah. And to your point, so someone made the point that, well, nowhere in scripture do they provide a list of words that you can't use. Well, they don't need to. And, and if they did, it wouldn't be helpful because in different languages, profanity comes in different mm-hmm. words. And when you speak different languages, you, you know that. There are certain words you say in English that if you were to say the same thing in another language, people would not be offended by it at all. So I think everyone, just by common sense, mm-hmm. everyone knows what words will be considered profane. I don't think that's a secret in any culture, yeah. in any language. And what we want to do is we want to avoid tempting people to get into that mindset um, to kind of go into a darker place to start using profanity as well. And, you know, if you're in environments where there's a lot of profanity, I, I tell you what, I, I've never been in a place where there's been a lot of profanity thrown around where God was being glorified. Never, yeah. ever. Yeah. In fact, I would argue there's never been a conversation I've had where it's even been thrown around even just a little bit 
that, that I thought that that conversation was glorifying to God. The only conversations that are glorifying to God is when we're meditating and talking about and encouraging each other with the truth of Scripture. And really, that requires no profanity. And even when we're confronting people, even if you're confronting false teachers from the Word of Faith movement, yeah. you know, we still don't need to use those words ever. Yeah, I mean, if your vocabulary is that limited, get a dictionary and read five or ten words a day. I mean that in all sincerity. Um, you know, if if you find that you don't have words to communicate strength and passion other than profane language, get a dictionary, get a thesaurus, and look for some good words. And I, I mean, I you hit the nail on the head. I haven't personally seen anyone defend those positions that I didn't genuinely feel they knew that they're probably in the wrong. No. Um, it, you know, if, if a word's unacceptable in the school around children, if you wouldn't want guys saying it around your wife in a family setting, well, that's because you, we understand the words inappropriate. And so maybe let me attribute that word inappropriate. If it's inappropriate, maybe we should just avoid it, or at least it's a red flag we should seriously consider. And I, I think to go a little bit deeper, as a man who is intentionally um, loving Christ, trying to be obedient to the word, pursuing a holy life, that kind of man would easily set aside words if there was even any reasonable suspicion of it falling yeah. in that category, right? And, and I think that's the greater, uh, the, the heart issue, right? Um, if you're seeking godliness, if you're pursuing holiness, then it should be no problem to just, you know what? I don't, I know a great majority of people are going to consider that profane. I don't need that word, right? I can find other ones. Um, and that's really where we should be with that, I think. No, I agree. And, and I, I'm thinking of just a few examples that I've had where, People have challenged me on that. And even in their challenge, they're freely using profanity. And when I look at how they're you know, talking to me, not that I'm anything important, but we want to treat each other with respect. But when I look at how they're addressing me and how they're addressing others who disagree with them, I mean, I'm looking at a person that's, to me, not showing any fruits of the spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it's like, you know, it's kind of like going back to what I said, that a person's theology is rarely just broken in one place. Yeah. And when I talk about theology, you know, theology obviously reflects what we understand to be true from all of the scriptures. Um, a, system, a good systematic theology reflects that. But I think it also reflects in the decisions you make, the way you prioritize, the way you respond to people, and what you treat as a major issue and what you treat as a minor issue. And when I look at some of these people who are engaged in active profanity, I look at their behavior, and, and this is not someone that gives me any confidence that they're walking with Christ. You know, so it, it's one of those things where examine, even just, just examine the fruits mm -hmm. of people who engage that. Look at the preachers who in the past have done that uh, more than just one occasion. And I know the, you know, last year when it came up at that conference, it was from a very popular um, preacher, brilliant guy, very smart. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. And that's the only time that I know of that he's used it. And he might not ever use it again. Sure. Um, and I hope he doesn't because I think that, you know, he has the potential of doing a lot of good for the kingdom of God without having to sidetrack his ministry with a lot of this kind of controversy around his use of that word. So, yeah, even when you look at the fruits, you know, imitate people that you know are good and godly people. Mm. You, you know, so yeah. even on Twitter, imitate someone like a Dustin Benge or a Nate Pickowicz, you know, or a John MacArthur. 
And and when you find and see people that you know are good and godly people, you know, look at how they conduct themselves in all areas of life. And I think you'll see that, you know what, there, there's just never a profitable, in my opinion, there's just never a profitable situation for, for profanity. Yeah. And, you know, and beyond all that, again, because the scripture is clear that there are such things as profane words that are not holy unto the Lord, um, it, you know, it should create a desire to just stay away from anything that could be perceived as that. Yeah. But beyond beyond that, which should be primary, I think, um, just consider the fact that if, you know, I and I, I don't know um, – Gosh, I can't even think of the guy's name in that conference where that happened right now. I, I don't know much about the guy, uh, actually. But let me just say, uh, not knowing anything about him, I heard more about the word he used than the message he presented. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and I assume that that was not his point, his desire, or what he hoped to happen. And if that's the case, then that alone should be enough for all of us to say, you know what, if if a single word is going to be such a distraction from the message, you know, um, of God that we're, we're presenting, man, it's just better not to use it. Even if we can, even if it's acceptable, yeah. <clears throat> let's just not use it because in the midst of that, right. what's not acceptable is that we did something we could have avoided that just demolished uh, the point of the message, right? The, right. the, the God's right. word in that. So, let's just avoid it altogether. So, I, I think those are some good things, um, brother, that w- we've talked about in dealing with social media. Uh, just to kind of recap for, for guys, um, don't feel like you have to jump ship. Um, maybe you do need to, um, but consider a witness, uh, staying as a witness. And, you know, consider how you communicate with people, believers and unbelievers, and how that's going to be perceived. And, you know, use language that's going to just not cause issues, that's going to be edifying. Um, you're not going to get in the profane battle, right? Because I, I assure you, if that comes up, whatever you were hoping to say that was good and right and true will inevitably be lost, in, yep. in the midst of that. I, any other thoughts from you, brother? Anything we, we missed or left out there? No, I, I think you I think you recapped it well. I mean, the only thing I would add is that, you know, being on Twitter, sometimes we get, um, you know, we start to worry too much about how many people are following us. And, you know, we also don't want to, you know, be motivated by that. Mm. We want to just be on there to edify others, to um, help make comments that are constructive, that helps other people understand, and to just share the truth, just just share and proclaim the truth. And, you know, and, and when given the opportunity to help under people to understand that truth, take advantage of it. Don't worry about the followers. In fact, Nate Pickowicz even said himself, if you tweet truth, followers will, will just happen, you know, but, but focus on just tweeting truth. That's really what we're, what we're after. Yeah, that's a good word, brother. And now you don't have to worry about followers anyway, because Twitter's just seems to that's be right. kicking that's them right. off. I, uh, I don't keep a close eye on mine because I I genuinely have never really cared about that. Uh, but they're, uh, you know, leaving left and right kind of thing. So don't worry about it. Worry about worry about the one follower you have who watches everything that you're doing, <laughs> right? Um, Amen. Amen. God sees and hears everything, and uh, He's going to be the one that we answer for every tweet we tweet right every thought we have everything we say we'll give an answer for one day 
And uh, just remember that before you hit the reply button. And I'll certainly try to do that myself. So thank you for joining us again, brother. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, guys, I hope that this podcast was edifying and uplifting and encouraging to you today. And by the way, just as we get ready to sign off here, we have some amazing news. We have now opened a Teespring store with lots of awesome Truth Be Known podcast merchandise. So you can get your mugs and your T-shirts and your hoodies with some awesome quotes and some cool sayings. We will put the link in the show notes for you. And so until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.